Hey, this is Brent Leary. It's been a little while, but yes. Yeah, I'm Brent Leary. And this is what I call the BBC. Not the British one, the Brent Broadcasting Channel. Oh, come on. Thank God for that. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be on the BBC. Oh, well, I'm so glad that it's not that BBC. And, and yeah. I guess he knows all about that BBC because he's Keith Tier. And Keith, uh, there's like a long list of things here. You're a Silicon Valley startup advisor. You're an investor. You, you were one of the founding investors for TechCrunch. And there's some uh, informal things that we will talk about later that you also you put on your informal yeah yeah well we're going to talk about that of course but thanks for joining me man you're welcome fun to be here it's, all, it's like different because you know we're usually fielding questions from you know mr gilmore as well, part not. of the gilmore well, gang sometimes we get <laughs> questions other times we we just take over <laughs> well you and frank and and you know michael mark mostly i just sort of sit in the background and chime in when i <laughs> And there's an opportunity, but hey, I'm really uh, happy to have you here to talk a little bit about uh, some things I know you are deeply into and have some experience and opinions about, and I think are incredibly important uh, going forward, 2021 and beyond. But before we jump in to talk about virtual events and streaming and things like that, uh, I touched on your background, but maybe you could fill in some of the blanks around it. Um, well, uh, working class Brit, grew up in Yorkshire, uh, coal miner grandfather, coal miner father. Wow. Um, Second World War took my father into a battlefield communications and he ended up working with the Secret Service in Morse code and cryptography. Wow. Uh, he was very right wing and I was very left wing. So we had lots of interesting differences of opinion um including um you know issues like uh northern ireland where i was uh i i started the campaign for british troops out of ireland i was a political activist wow i also I wonder if i can find this i also wrote a book called um under siege racial violence in britain today wow which was all about the history of um, treatment of immigrants uh, after after 1961 mainly um and and the lead up to the british nationality act which took citizenship away from lots of people what year um, did you write that i was curious 1988. wow so I, I i i was basically an angry working class kid who managed to get into university um did sociology and political science because i hated the way the world was and wanted to change it and became a political activist and then learned to code. <laughs> well, that's kind of the transition. It's, it doesn't seem as, uh, you know, linear as you, you know, you think, how did you do that? What, what led you to coding um, after that kind of background? Well, I, I was kind of curious about computers. Uh, and, and at that time there was like um, Commodore 64 and stuff like that was out. And I was doing these political campaigns where we distributed books and pamphlets, and we also did mailing lists. And I thought, you know, maybe I could buy a computer and do some of this stuff on a computer. And bit by bit, I learned to do it. I, I in fact, created the first direct link between a Commodore 64 and a typesetter where you could write something and typeset it without it having to be retyped, way before the newspapers were doing wow. that. 
Wow, wow, okay. So that was back in the 80s. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I, I was kind of um, anarchist stroke, Marxist stroke, hippie, um, <laughs> uh, which was normal then in Europe, by the way. Wow, okay. I, I, uh, if you weren't like me, you didn't uh, attract girlfriends very easily. But, the, well, I don't know. I, I have a question that comes up a little later because you, you do have something where you did work with somebody that probably attracted a lot of women at the time. Uh, I call him David Bowie. You call him David Bowie, but yeah. Yes. Actually, I've got a better one for you. I only had time to tell you one story, but I, I booked, uh, I was the guy in charge of booking the bands at my university and I booked 10CC to come and play. And guess who came with them? Ray Davis from the Kinks. Wow. And he was their manager. I hadn't realized that. So I sat on the balcony overlooking the concert hall with Ray Davis for the whole concert, drinking a British beer <laughs> called Newcastle Brown. See, that's why, you know, when you mentioned this last week on, on the Gilmore Gang, I already had, you know, a certain level of steam for you. But I have to admit, it went off the charts when I started hearing about your background as a DJ and work with David Bowie and now Ray Davies. I wish we could get into that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I will. I would say I drank with Ray Davis. Didn't really work with him, but. Well, did you dance with, uh, did you go dancing with Ray Davis? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There it is. Lazing on a Sunday afternoon. Always there it is. Yeah. All right. So now, now we do have to get into some of the things that, you know, you're focused on now. I mean, you, you've done so much when it comes to advisory work and investing, but one of the things that you uh, kind of told us about on the Gilmore gang months ago about a, a platform that I hadn't heard of. And I, and I, I know I hear a lot about uh, like event management, you know, virtual event kind of platforms, a lot of the CRM vendors that I work with use uh, these services, particularly after last year. You know, you have the Entrados, you have uh, your call tours. I mean, you, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. But you talked about this one called Hopin. I think they're based out of Europe or something like that. Uh, City of Manchester in the UK. Yeah. They're, they're, a friend of mine, Reshma Sahoni, who runs a fund called Seed Camp with her colleagues, did their first investment about a year ago, a bit more than a year ago. And uh, they're now valued at $2 billion, uh, having done two more rounds. And it's because they cornered the market in virtual events at big scale. Um, their, their revenues have just taken off. So talk uh, about virtual events at big scale, because there's a lot of there's a lot of platforms out there. Yeah. And they do certain things. But what's the difference between some of those that we may already know of and a, uh, and a platform like yeah. Hopin that does it at a scale, like that handles tens of thousands of people at a time. Yeah. So obviously Zoom does events and right. um, there's companies like Miro that do collaborative uh, design for product managers and stuff like that. So there's lots and lots of companies doing smaller team-based stuff or cross team. Um, what if what Hopin does is it tries to reproduce CES online. So wow. it's a whole different scale with a stage and speakers and an audience. And that's mainly streaming, a little bit like StreamYard, uh, because there's no interaction. It's just listening and checking in. But they built around that breakout rooms, 
exhibitor tables that are interactive. So they've used really good communications technology for the stuff that's small groups and regular streaming technology for the stuff that's big audience. Mm. Uh, and uh, I'd, I'd characterize it today as a kind of a hybrid. We're, we're, we're only one step towards what the end game is because the end game is that you can have interactive um, on top of streams, synchronized to the stream. Most streams are too, they have too much latency to be interacting on top of them. Um, but there's a new technology using uh, something called WebRTC, which is, stands for Web Real-Time Communications. Mm -hmm. And uh, a company called Millicast that I'm an advisor to has built out the ability to have up to 2 million people on a WebRTC stream. And they can multiply that stream n times. So, wow. you know, if you wanted to watch the World Cup final and a billion people were watching, they could do 2 million people times the number to get to a billion. And within each 2 million, you can have interactivity between the people on it. That, that's where it's headed. So right now, Hopin is kind of that first step of that, like being able to, to have host virtual events that reach millions of people, it sounds like. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing, uh, and you already mentioned it, you mentioned the, the service StreamYard, which is what I use and a lot of people use to do these, you know, streaming the services or platforms like LinkedIn or Facebook Live or YouTube or a host of them. Uh, recently, um, Hoppin bought StreamYard. Now, StreamYard, the benefit of what StreamYard does, it just allows you to allows us to do what you just mentioned. We're able to kind of broadcast and, and add a certain level of of uh interactivity like you know you can right now i'm streaming to five platforms um and i can have aggregated comments coming in from you know these different platforms i can post them up and so you do get a little bit of uh, interactivity um but it doesn't do anything like what hopping does so yeah what does that combination what does Streamyard bring to hopping and, and maybe what does hopping bring to Streamyard to bring this together I would say Hopin brings the possibility of a very large audience um, that are just seeing streaming. Mm -hmm. And StreamYard brings the possibility of speakers and their guests being able to have their, their event uh, in a smaller group broadcast to that audience. So, so, so it's, and, and, and of course, there's two way the audience will be able to feed things back into StreamYard, like you said, with the chat and so on. Eventually, I think you'll be able to bring a video participant on stage, um, a little bit like Clubhouse is doing. If you've used Clubhouse, they, they segment everything from the stage to the potential speakers to the audience, and the moderator can bring people on stage, um, uh, and it's only audio. It's pretty hard to do that on video today, but it soon won't be. So do you so do you see what you mentioned Clubhouse? So that's another one that's kind of got a lot of people's attention right now. And so you're seeing the ability to bring speakers on and off, uh, at least maybe in the short term, uh, from an audible standpoint, an audio standpoint. But in the long term, you're you're foreseeing this combination uh, allowing Hopper to do things that they can't do. The interactivity with the audience, interactivity with with the uh, with speakers and the audience, is that what you see? The kind of the 
I, I, I think that's one, yeah, that's one use case. If, if we jump to a totally different use case, then you'll start to see the generic components. Okay. Uh, a totally different use case would be um, uh, Millicast partnered with Amazon and the U.S. Volleyball Association to during COVID to allow the volleyball championships to still happen on the beach in LA or San Diego, wherever it was. And the way they did it is they put um, remote control cameras around the, 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 the court in, on the beach. Mm-hmm. They had guys in the cloud with a virtual switcher getting a feed from every camera. And then the guys could choose which camera would go live in the cloud, which would then stream through Amazon to millions of people. Wow. So you're combining uh, interactive real time. Uh, and, and that's why Millicast is important. They've got latency down to something like, two, you know, under 100 milliseconds uh, a lot of the time, certainly under 200. So you, the human being doesn't notice latency. And there, therefore, you can do things that feel real time. So you're, you're basically... A, a, enabling these this kind of event that takes place and it could be video audio all sorts of uh pieces to it all able to come together and and could be in different locations i guess and all being able to come together and to the viewer look like it's all happening in real time no latency at all yeah yeah Uh, black magic have, have, have moved in that direction using hardware so your a10 mini you can buy this other device which you can plug a camera in and someone else on the other side of the country can do the same. And you can bring their camera into your A10 mini as if it was local to you. Um, Now imagine doing that pure software. Oh, you've got one streaming streaming bridge. (laughs) So, so uh, why, why did I not suspect you would have had one? You and I think a lot alike, man. <laughs> well, I haven't got one because I haven't got anyone else that's got one. Now I know you've got one. Ah, there it is. <laughs> we can start experimenting finally. There it is. <laughs> but imagine doing that in pure software with that level of interactivity um, and combining it with large-scale events that are streaming where the stream, everyone experiences it at the same time. So there's no delay. Yeah, that's amazing. But so, so when you take... The combination of something like uh, a stream yard with a hop-in and it's it's being run off of a a, a network like a millicast Do, are we does that start to give the possibility of businesses to do things uh like we're possibly starting to see being done on platforms like twitch where yeah. they're they're doing or amazon even like amazon prime or all these uh, platforms that are now beginning to do live sports where you only were able to do it on TV, but now they're adding that element of interactivity on that you can't get with TV. Are, are these platforms you see in, in the future? I don't know how far out, but these combinations of, you know, uh, a stream yard, a hop in running on a millicast, being able to offer individual companies the ability to create these unique uh, experiences that they might have had to go to you know, one or two uh, big guys to be able to pull off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Twitch, in a way, is 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 like a BlackBerry compared to an iPhone. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Twi- Twi- Twitch does streaming, and it also does like chat. Um, it doesn't really do full audio video interactivity. 
Um, mm. So the next generation, and it, it's already happening. Clubhouse already does it using audio. It, uh, it's not going to be very long until you can do it with video. One of my other companies around, they, they, um, they called around because anyone on the call, they put them around a document. Um, and they have round circles that where the camera zooms into your face. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, it uses very low bandwidth because it's only broadcasting your face. Um, so it can do what Clubhouse does, but on video. Um, wow. that, it, so it's all beginning to happen. And, and, and I think what you're going to end up seeing is that uh, Amazon Prime and Twitch are, are going to feel very old-fashioned. Um, uh, you think of it, what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to buy a digital seat with, with your buddies, up to, probably up to 20 people could buy seats to an event, a sports event or a live performance or whatever. And you'll all see the, the event, but you'll also be able to talk to each other, take photos and share them with each other, you know, and so on and so forth. So it, it'd be very close to being in the, in the, in the same place with them, except, um, uh, it doesn't require 3D. It, it, it would be better in 3D, but it can work very well in 2D as well. Is that kind of similar or maybe what we're seeing with these? I, I saw this commercial for Roku where like there's this uh, mother and, and son. Uh, they want to watch this uh, cartoon and they want to watch it with the with the grandfather. Yeah. So they send uh, like a, I don't know if it was an email or some kind of a text message to that. Grandfather said, "Hey, join us watching TV," and he, you know, his yeah. button, and now they're all together. Yeah, so that's what watch parties are becoming fairly common. But mm -hmm. watch parties are limited to a stream, which is buffered, uh, the same buffer for everyone. So the stream is buffered, so it isn't real time. But you don't care about that with a movie. Um, right. or, uh, and then you can chat with each other uh, on the watch party, which um, so it. That's what I'm describing as the BlackBerry version. Um, <laughs> in a way, the watch party is like um, a child in the eighth month of pregnancy about to be born. And it's going to become something that you don't recognize with a word as small as watch party. It's, it's going to be normal that you can join an event with friends or family and share the experience using video and audio as well. All right. So I got to bring you something like... My my home, which is CRM, customer experience, customer engagement. So, how do you see companies being able to leverage this stuff eventually to create more uh, sticky, deeper relationships with yeah. their prospects and customers? Well, the uh, so there are already some. There's one user of Millicast, which is Airbnb. Airbnb okay. uses it for their um, all hands meetings, which is six thousand people. Hmm. And uh, on top of Millicast, they designed this stadium look and feel. And everyone has a seat. And their face is moving in the seat. But you only see their face. And the CEO can uh, see someone's hand up, point to them, and they can ask a question. Wow. So that's already happening. Um, so all hands meetings, I think workshops, uh, are an obvious one where the, you've got cross-functional meetings. Um, I, it feels like um, team collaboration is already happening with mm -hmm. video, and it's small enough that it doesn't need anything new. Um, 
so I don't think that's going to be the sweet spot. It's going to be larger events that need interactivity. You know, Salesforce could do Salesforce on Hopin. You mean uh, like a Dreamforce event? Yeah, or yeah. Dreamforce, yeah. They could, they could do it on Hopin. Obviously, they're making some compromises compared to face-to-face. -face, uh, but they also get some benefits compared to face-to-face. -face. Right. Well, um, <coughs> you bring up Salesforce, which uh, I've been thinking a little bit about, you know, kind of when StreamYard bought Hopin, it, and I don't know if this is the right, you know, connection to make or not, but it kind of reminded me of when uh, Exact Target bought Pardot, and then not too far after Exact Target bought Pardot, Salesforce bought Exact Target. So it, like you know, they got the marketing automation piece, they got the bigger email marketing piece, all together, not one foul swoop. Can you see a company making a play now that uh, you know Streamyard? was acquired by Hopin, and this kind of connects to what I think are pretty uh, significant pieces to the engagement puzzle going forward, um, like real-time you know, uh, streamed uh, event. But all of that is part of how companies are going to be yep. looking to engage and connect and stay connected with customers over time. Can you see like a bigger acquisition that could be something like a Salesforce or an Oracle or a Microsoft or SAP who can then take those two pieces and integrate them into a, a bigger engagement platform. Absolutely. I mean, it, to me, it's inevitable. Um, you know, when Slack just got acquired, um, it's interesting that Slack d didn't have robust uh, video audio interactivity. It did have an offering, but it wasn't very robust. Um, well, they're uh, a collaboration more than videos. Yeah, collaboration more than video. Yeah. So. Um, it seems to me inevitable that the big guys are going to have to be able to do any scale streaming plus interactivity. Um, and, and the use cases for that will be all over the map. There have been many, many use cases for that. Um, uh, it's almost not worth making a list because you just know there's going to be lots. Well, and you, let's, and you mentioned Salesforce. I mean, they do their own huge events anyway. So, and of course, SAP, I mean, they all have these huge events, but they also have all the other engagement platform components. And it seems like it's just a matter of time before somebody connects all the dots, either through acquisition or partnership or homegrown. Although to me, that would take the more time. And I don't know how much time may be of the essence here, because it seems like things are happening pretty quickly. And, and it's hard. The homegrown is hard. I mean, uh, Alex uh, Gouillard, who's known as Dr. Alex, who's the CEO of uh, Millicast, he's been in the standards community for the last 10 years, building all the standards out and coding them. It, it, you just don't find someone like that unless it's him or, or two or three other people. You know, there aren't that many people who are really good at this. So, I mean, we're we're looking at what I think eventually, you know, we're going to get past the pandemic. Live events are going to come back, but not to the extent to scale. At least I can't see them coming back. I mean, Dreamforce had 170,000 people at its height, you know, for uh, all coming together in San Francisco for a week. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't, me personally, I don't want to go someplace where there's that many people all in one thing anymore. So although I think you'll see, you'll definitely see face-to-face -face events come back, I don't think they'll get to the scale 
of what they used to be. But yeah. that's because you have, you know, the, the virtual platforms are going, have shown even in these early stages that they are more than capable of pulling that off. So eventually you're going to have to think about a major push either, you know, mostly I think it's going to be acquisition uh, into how to, how do we add that component, in, that component into our and customer engagement platform. It all could, could be used for ex, uh, employee experience and all those things, but you're going to have to, if you want to be a big player going forward, it seems like you're going to have to do something here. Yeah. No, don't disagree. Uh, I mean, look at Microsoft. Microsoft tried to use Teams to do scalable broadcast and it, and it crashed. Um, Teams is good for what Teams is good for. It's actually a very good product, but it's, yeah. not, it's not good for large-scale interactive streaming. Um, so, yeah, they're going to have to build or buy. Building is hard. I suspect they'll buy. The market's immature, like... My company around has done its A round of financing um, and is pre-launch. Um, and it has a bunch of, bunch of uh, other companies in the space looking to launch. Millicast is more mature. It's got, you know, well-known brand customer base, but it's a platform. It's the platform right. play. It's not the, um, the layer above that, the product layer. So, um, you know, this whole space is rapidly evolving and and will keep evolving and companies will get bought when the ceos think it's the right time to cash in what do you think the future of a, a company like uh what is that uh, restream you know because they, yeah, yeah. they are they they seem to be a, a kind of competitor to Streamyard, but they do things that Streamyard didn't do either yeah i actually use restream and I tried to use StreamYard to copy what I can do on Restream. In fact, I just reminded myself I haven't canceled my, <laughs> my StreamYard. <laughs> Your StreamYard. Um, and what, what I liked about Restream is things like lower thirds were better and use of graphics were better. Um, but apart from that, it was fairly similar. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think that, you know, as, as you see with the rise of newsletters, you're going to see a convergence between newsletters, video blogs, audio blogs, um, and um, you know the companies that integrate all of that. And I noticed that Twitter bought Review this last week, right? And they've I I, I tried it out because I have a newsletter called That Was the Week dot com, and um, I used Review and it pulled in my Twitter feed as sources. Um, and in my case, I use Feedly to read stuff. And when I bookmark something on Feedly, it tweets it. So my Twitter list is actually the articles I want to put in the newsletter. Mm. And I just have to drag them across now and drop them. Then I go to Restream and record a video every week. Well, that should really be built into the whole experience. All right. Let's take a step back because I, I remember, uh, I think it was on last week's Gilmer Gang. Where you know the guy that puts the Gilmore in the game, <laughs> Steve Gilmore, said something to the effect of uh, newsletters are are going to be huge going forward. They're going to be big going forward. And I remember thinking to myself, "All right, I think I see that." But who would have said that statement in 2021 
uh, the, of 2021, like five years ago, because it seemed yeah. like things like email and newsletters and even podcasting at the time, they were kind of on the downward slope. Yeah. But yeah. now we're, we're definitely seeing podcasting coming back with a vengeance. Uh, but now you're saying newsletters are coming back and they all kind of kind of work together. Could you explain why why we're seeing things that we thought were on the way out seemingly becoming even more important going forward? Well, I think it's to do with business model. Um, only rare people can charge for a newsletter. Uh, right. Newsletter has to be really, really something to charge for it. So it isn't a business model. And only rare people get enough listeners to a podcast to be able to advertise on it or charge for it. And the same is true of video blogs, although there's a lot of very good earners on YouTube, people who do videos over and over. Um, so I think there's a kind of a, a search for a business model. I actually think Clubhouse is part of this. Uh, the fact that Clubhouse, you can do a private room invite only uh, is part of answering the question, what should I give my subscribers? Mm, mm -hmm. and, and so the big question for any of us, who I, I don't try to make money from the stuff I do. I, it's more for reputation and fun. But if I was trying to make money, what, what can I give my subscribers is the number one question. Right, and it's right. got to be, I think it's to do with access. Um, I don't think it's content. I think it's access. Wow. So you're saying this is interesting because we had a comment from my, one of my buddies, Finn. We need to skip channel thinking. So you're, you're basically saying it's it 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 is. It's not about a specific channel. It's about whatever gets to them. Yeah. More yeah. than it's about the content itself at this point, it sounds like. Yeah. It's, so you have an audience. You produce stuff that you think is a fit for that audience uh, and because you're interested in it. Uh an audience kind of has a funnel, you know, at the very top might be people you give a free newsletter to, and that might be the biggest number of people or view, in your case, it might be viewers on, on your, on your stream yard. And, and then the, after that, the question is, well, um, do I want to make money from this? If the answer is yes, you've got to have something to give them. And mm -hmm. I think this whole tool set is, is a very early stage of coming together to provide answers to that. So all these are pieces to the puzzle. Well, if, if, if the past is anything to go by, what will happen is StreamYard, Restream, Twitter, Substack, Review will all converge on a common set of features. Hmm. And you'll choose your favorite one. But that might be five years from now. Yeah, I was going to wow. So... We're starting to see the the integration apparently because, like you said, Twitter bought Review, uh, Streamyard just got recently got acquired by Hopin. Uh, so we're maybe we're starting to see the beginning of the the integration. Um, um, oh. uh, I think of it almost like the unbundling of Zoom, which requires integration. It's like what mm -hmm. would Zoom for doctors look like? What what would Zoom for newsletter publishers look like? You know. Uh, and so on and so forth. There's a million versions of that question and Zoom isn't going to do most of them. So, mm -hmm. so then you say, okay, what are the big, the big markets that require audio, video, document sharing, possibly publishing, um, inbound feeds to select, to curate from, you know, 
you could write the list of features in your head. If, if I wasn't 66, I'm, I'm a many times over product guy, I would go and build it myself because I kind of know what it is. But some <laughs> people are out there building it. Look, look who's uh, watching us. Oh, Frankie. <laughs> Frankie goes to Hollywood. <laughs> Relax, Frank. No, I'm just uh, it sounds like aggregation more than integration. I, I was going to ask about does this like a Zoom? We uh, I do a, a show with my buddy Paul Greenberg called the CRM Players, and at, towards the end of last year, we had uh, uh, the guy who's heading up uh, kind of developing Zoom's marketplace and trying to recruit yeah apps developers to you know build things on the Zoom platform. So. Are 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 you seeing the approach of some platforms like that? Are you seeing some of them looking to buy and integrate it fully into their platforms? I, I think you know this might be controversial, but I think that is boring and a losing move. Um, the marketplace uh, yeah, approach. Yeah. Okay. Look at something like Squarespace, where they've got all this stuff in the marketplace that you can put in your website, and if you are a vendor your worst nightmare is Squarespace telling you that they're going to put you in the marketplace because you know you're going to be buried amongst hundreds of other offerings. And, you, you know, so it's very attractive to go and build a standalone dedicated thing as opposed to be a marketplace on Zoom. You might do both as a bootstrapping, but you definitely wouldn't end with a marketplace Zoom offering um, because then you're contained, uh, you know, trapped. Um, it, uh, so, it, you know, it's like if you do a like if I, for me, that was the week, I don't do it on medium. I've got that was the week.com because if it does, uh, if people find it interesting, I want them to come just to it. Right. Um, and, and, and if they don't find it interesting, I don't want to meet them anyway. So, uh, so you may as well play for the big outcome. Right. Uh, by the way, we we will definitely see you on Friday, uh, Frank. See you, Thanks Frank. for stopping by. All right. So one last question. Uh, where does the ad model fit into all this? Because you can't get away from digital ad platforms for almost anything now. So we're talking, I mean, I mean, that's what uh, Twitch is, is heading towards with, you know, being able to offer these kind of platforms and uh, an integrated digital platform or so how does that fit into all the things that we kind of talked about? I'm, I, I have a strong bias here, so I might not be objective. Uh -oh. um, but I, I, I don't like advertising, period. Like, I will pay HBO. Oh, or let, a better example would be I'll pay Hulu for the non-ad version rather than have the ads. Um, and, you know, obviously there are some things where you can't turn ads off, so I don't. Uh, but I tend to not to hang out in them if the ads become too intrusive. There is a place for the ad model. I mean, I always thought Twitter was really dumb not to say every 10th tweet is an ad and to allow the, you know, when they used to have the Twitter stream that could go out through TweetDeck and on other, you could embed it in your websites. Mm -hmm. I always thought, why don't they just let that take off and say every 10th tweet is, a, is an ad? They'd, they'd, they'd be bigger than Facebook and Google on advertising. And it wouldn't be too intrusive if it was every 10th tweet. So I, I think there is a place for an advertising model. But when it takes over and becomes the main driver of the business, I, I don't like it. I'd rather pay to get out of the ads. I, you know, 
Apple's recent move, which um, I installed yesterday, uh, iOS 14.5, where they, uh, when you load an app that tracks you, they throw up um, a thing that says this ad is this app is tracking you. Do you want it to? Um, yeah. I think I think you know privacy is going to get in the way of advertising models somehow. I, I'm reading rumors that Facebook, by the way, is developing. Um, uh, a newsletter stroke video blogging competitor. So, uh, you know, it feels to me like services that you want to use because they're good mm-hmm. is where my interest lies, not advertising. But so that, therefore I am biased. And of course I'm wrong because most of the revenue on the internet comes from advertising or at least consumer internet. Well, I, I just did a little piece and uh, around the Facebook, uh, Apple, food fight that's going on around privacy and let's face it. I mean, Facebook 98, 98% of their revenue still comes from ads. Yeah. So this, yeah. this has a huge impact on them. Yeah. I mean, they and Apple and Amazon and Google, um, fight for every eyeball, which, which is why in my opinion, none of them are monopolies. Um, they, they're all carving up the same market. Um, and none of them has got, more than fifty percent of it. That you're, you're talking about the attention economy, basically, where they're all looking for the attention because once they get that, then they have a, they a conversion. Yeah, they can convert on that on your attention. Yeah, exactly. we, I, I was trying to come up with this return on attention metric um, because yeah. it, if you don't have it, then you're lost. But if if you yeah. do have it, then you have that opportunity to convert it into something. Yeah. You know, I, I, it, it, it works the whole spectrum. I, I, uh, I work with a company that pays me a lot of money every year and it's one customer and I've got their attention and they pay me enough that I can live off it. Um, my newsletter has 5,000 subscribers and they don't pay me anything. So <laughs> attention has a price depending on how valuable you are to the people that want your attention. <laughs> Oh, that is that is so true. I'm going to end with this last question uh, from my buddy Rolf. Where would you see the privacy utilization and policy from Clubhouse? That's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. They've put um, they've put their community guidelines as a link right at the top of a room. Um, they claim uh, in those community guidelines that there are rules and they'll enforce the rules, which is kind of interesting because I don't know how they'll do that in voice. Um, but anyway, you probably have to report someone and their privacy policy. I haven't actually read, but I've got to believe that they're not tracking people. I think their business model ultimately is paid rooms that people who can, you know, I, I, I do this thing for startups called startup storytelling. Um, I, (coughs) I typically do it for free and I get stock in the company. (laughs) <laughs> but it's worth it's worth tens of thousands of dollars to the company. Wow! I can imagine paid rooms where you can deliver uh, long term mentorship, you know, and, and earn money through it. I think that's their long term model. Well, you know, I I, I think uh, Clubhouse right now is, is everybody's flavor of the week, and you know, there's always the thing that always kind of irritates me about this stuff is. It's just another way for people to meet and aggregate and commune. That's okay. 
Uh, but then there's always the people who want to use it to become, to build their brand or to kind of position themselves like they are some kind of an expert. Yeah. Which yeah. kind of irritates the hell out of me at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, confession, I, we all do a bit of that. I mean, that's true. Uh, because our value is equal to what people see in us for themselves. That's true. For themselves. Maybe the, maybe the key is don't be blatant about it. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. be so obvious about it that it, it just turns people off. But I'm not, I'm going to get off my soapbox. No, no, I always say to my wife, some, every now and then my wife will smile and say, I love you. And I always say to her, you always love me, but now you love yourself. That's why you're telling me this. Yeah. <laughs> You should have saved that one for Friday, man. <laughs> <That's gonna> be... <laughs> hey, I, I really do appreciate you doing this. I know you're kind of under the weather, uh, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. But it's been a great conversation. And uh, Keith, where can people learn more about, you know, what is what is it called? The the that was the week. That was the week dot com. It's it's a shortened version of a British comedy series called That Was the Week That Was, um, <clears throat> which was Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and all kinds of people back in the day. So um, I, I found that that was the week.com was available for $6.99 from GoDaddy. So I got it. <laughs> nice value. <laughs> All right. So uh, Keith, thanks again. And I guess I will be talking to you. Look who just showed up to say a little something to us. Hey, Tina, Our fearless yeah. production director leader for the Gilmore gang. So anyway, uh, what was that? Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Now, this is great. Rest up because we want you feeling better for Friday. I didn't get to tell you about Mick Jagger and Morris Sarches, investors in my company. But of course, that means you'll have to come back now and talk about that. <laughs> you, you leave that one just dangling out there. All right. For another time. We will definitely hear about that story. But anyway, thanks again. And thanks, everybody. I will see you on Thursday with CRM players. So until then, we'll see you. Bye-bye.